Hillside family. My name is Amanda Fisher. I'm so glad that you have joined us for worship online. Please remember to check in on the Church Center app. Now let's turn it over to Daniel and the worship team. In my wrestling and in my doubts, in my failures, you won't walk out. Your great love will lead me through. You are the peace in my troubled sea. Oh, you are the peace in my troubled sea. Safe to 
mountains found down before Jesus Christ our risen Lord Jesus Christ our risen Lord Mighty Savior
of you have had the privilege of being a part of the life of Kevin and Judith Gaby and the Gaby family. You think about the last name Gaby and what they represent here at Hillside, all the various ways that they've served our community faithfully, quietly, consistently for so long. It's like they've been here since Moses walked the earth. And we are absolutely blessed to have had the Gabies be a part of Hillside. They are moving to Wisconsin on October the 17th. And the reason they're moving to Wisconsin is it's a life change, but also to be near their daughter and of course their grandkids. Grandkids always win, don't they? So we're really excited for you, Kevin and Judith. We're excited for your family. We're excited for the adventure ahead, knowing that as you go and you continue to walk in the way of Jesus, as you continue to be light in the world, wherever you land and however you shine, we know that you will shine bright because it's who you are as people. So we are grateful to you, for you. We are excited with you. We celebrate this new adventure ahead and we want you to go with our absolute blessing. So we wanted to take a moment just to say a prayer of blessing over you as you prepare to get ready into this next stage of life. So Jesus, we honor you above all things. We bring Kevin and Judith and the family before you. We thank you for the ways that they made Hillside what Hillside is today. What a joy, what a privilege to have been in the presence of these two people, to know them, love them, care for them, enjoy them, laugh with them. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to fill them with everything that they need. Give them your extra blessing. Cover them, surprise them with what's around the corner as they bond with their grandkids and do life and raise Help raise these beautiful gifts in the world. God, give them everything they need. Bless their kids, bless their family, bless their adventure ahead. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Go with God, my friends. We love you and we're gonna miss you like crazy. Grace and peace. Now let's pray for our offerings. Jesus, thank you for our families, our food, and our shelter. We also thank you for the living things around us and all the gifts we are able to give back to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we do a deep dive into the scriptures and learn and continue to learn how to walk in the way of Jesus, I wanna draw our attention to an important gathering that's coming up for our community. On October the 25th, Sunday, we are having our annual meeting. We're gonna do things a little bit differently this year. We're gonna do it via Zoom. And the meeting is gonna be at 10.30 in the morning. We wanted to make sure we catch everybody before the 49ers game. So we want you to be a part of that. So we're gonna send out an email with an invitation, a Zoom link invitation. So we want you to be a part of that. If you uh, wanna come and hear about the church and what's ahead, then we invite, everybody's invited, but only members can vote. Now, the way that you can register for this event is to go on the All Church Center app and register for our annual meeting on the 25th. The Zoom link will be sent out to you via email so that you can participate in it. We'll all be in Zoom together. And what we're gonna cover this year is we're gonna get an update from our pastoral search team, and they're gonna give us uh, some more indications of where they're at in their process. So we continue to pray for that search. We continue to pray for our next lead pastor that God would prepare and bless and get that person ready for what's ahead in this community. We get to vote on new council members. So we've got some new people coming on to council this year that we're really excited about. 
to see how they can help us move forward and, and shape who we are becoming as light in the world. And then, of course, we're going to spend some time looking at the budget and talking about what's coming up for the next year as we launch into this next season, living into our vision and our core values to be light in the world, to be led by the Spirit, a people who are marked in the Word, growing in community, honoring God through service, and as always, seeking to transform our world through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're excited. We're ready. Looking forward to seeing you all. And God bless you. Let's get ready to jump into the scriptures together. Good morning, Hillside community. It's good to be with you again. This morning, uh, I want to draw your attention to a text out of the book of Matthew. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 18. We're on a learning journey of what it looks like to be light in the world. That is our vision. That is what we are as a people in this time, in this place, in this particular part of the East Bay. And we've been exploring uh, what it looks like to be light in the world. And for the next four weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the places where light is drawn and how we engage in those places where light isn't drawn. And in Matthew chapter 16, I want to draw our attention first to just the first verse, verse 13. Listen to what it says. It says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, if you just stop after that first opening line, what is Jesus doing in a place like Caesarea Philippi? Why is he taking his disciples there? And why is he asking this particular question in this particular place? Now, keep in mind, Jesus is a rabbi. And rabbis have disciples, and disciples follow the rabbi in order to learn the way of the rabbi and then to take the way of the rabbi, the rabbi and perpetuate his way into the world. And so Jesus is forming this new community. We've been calling it the city of light, the city within a city, kind of an alternative community. And he wants to help this particular community as he's forming and shaping them to engage with culture. Not to assimilate with culture in order to just become like culture, but also not to separate themselves from culture. So those are not the two options, to assimilate or separate. What Jesus is doing, and he's modeling this through his own actions and behavior, is how do we engage with culture as light? How do we engage with it as Jesus' followers? And what we see from following Jesus is that Jesus takes his followers into places that devout Jews typically didn't go, into dark places places, all kinds of people that he's interacting with that typically that wasn't the norm. Now, note that this is getting towards the end of Jesus' ministry here on earth. He's been traveling for three years with his disciples, and now it's just weeks before he used to go into Jerusalem and face his execution. And up to this point in Jesus' ministry, he's been spending the majority of his time around the Sea of Galilee, throughout towns and regions, places like Nazareth and uh, Sephoris and Capernaum and even to the Decapolis, which was on the other side of the sea where they encountered an evil spirit. Places, again, that, that devout Jews just didn't go. You don't go over to the other side of the sea because that's where the pagans live and that's where pagan rituals happen. And yet Jesus takes his followers into those kinds of places. And now, just weeks before his ex ex execution, he takes 
his disciples north up to the region of Caesarea Philippi. And in this particular region, in this city, there stood a statue of a god named Pan. And Pan was the god of male sexuality, this Greek god. And he was portrayed as half goat, half man. So goat from the waist down and from the waist up, he was portrayed as a man. This is also the location where Mount Hermon is. And at the, the very um, base of the mountain, there was this huge threshold, a cave. Now, Mount Hermon was named after Hermes, who is the conductor of the souls traveling to Hades. So after you die, you would travel with Hades into the underworld. And Pan stood at the threshold of this cave. He guarded this threshold. And when you died, if you didn't get panicked by Pan, you would cross the threshold and Hermes then would take you into Hades from there, into the underworld you would travel. Now, this is the mythology behind this setting. Now, in 2nd BC, uh, Herod Philip was ruling. He was the son of Herod the Great, and he decided to build a city at the base of this mountain, and this city was called Caesarea Philippi. The place of this location was the, the Pan was the primary focus of worship. There was a temple constructed for Pan. There was a statue of Pan. There was imagery of Pan all over the place. Now, backing up in history a bit, this was also the place where Baal worshipped happened. So uh, lots of spiritual devotion here. Lots of uh, pagan worship happened in this place throughout history and in this particular time in the story. Now, I'm going to show you just a, a few pictures to give you an idea of what this, this currently looks like today. So you kind of have some imagery um, these aren't like of professional quality, but here's, here's the, the threshold, the cave, the place where Jesus is standing. If you can see that, you can see the threshold and inside the threshold, there's a, a huge body of water and out of the, out of the threshold, um, water would flow into this river. So this is the underworld, the idea of an underworld. It looks like a mouth. This is the, the cave, the entrance into Hayes. And also around the cave, you have uh, these windows in place. And inside these windows, there would be wooden images, carvings of the gods, uh, carvings of Pan inside of these places. So all sorts of pagan worship would happen in this place and in this location. So people would come from all over the world to this particular location, and they would offer up sacrifices to Pan. And this is how it worked. You would offer up sacrifices to this, to this God because you wanted this God to bless you. You wanted this God to help you flourish. You wanted this God um, to take care of your family. And that's because that's how it works. So if you offer up the proper kind of sacrifices, then God would hold up their end of the deal and they would come and they would bless you. Now back up a little bit. It's weeks before Jesus is about to go into Jerusalem, die, face his execution, and then rise again and resurrect. Now picture this with me. They're standing, possibly standing somewhere near the mouth of this particular cave where Pan worship is happening. All these people are gathered worshiping Pan. There's a temple, there's imagery, there's wooden carvings everywhere, even in the stonework itself. The disciples are at the Mecca of paganism. Jesus takes them right into the Mecca of paganism. Now listen to the text with this in mind because this is, it's just amazing how it brings the story uh, into fullness. But, but listen to these words in Matthew 16, verses 13 through 18. Follow along with me. 
when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jer Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now Jesus asked them a question. Who do you say that I am? And Peter's answer is absolutely beautiful. You are the son of the living God. Now you think about the weight behind that, where they're standing, the imagery that's around them, wooden images, not these idols, not this statue, not this temple. You are the son of the living God, not a God that we think might exist, but you're right here standing in our midst. And Jesus responds, yes. And I tell you, Peter, you are the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. Now, the disciples are standing on the very place, the Mecca of pagan worship, and this is where Jesus is going to build his church? Like, this is amazing. Jesus is going to build his church in places like this, on this rock, where all kinds of lucivious acts are happening, pan worship is happening. And Jesus is saying, listen, even back in Matthew 5, you remember what he, he makes a declarative statement about who we are as Jesus followers. He says, you are light. Not you will be someday, or I hope you become light someday. He says, this is what you are. By your very essence, by your very nature, who you are as my followers is you are light, and light will establish itself in places that are dark. All of these people around us are desperate to connect to God. Absolutely desperate. Doing all of these things to, in order to get the attention of their particular God. They're going through rituals and sacrifices and working themselves up into a frenzy, and I'm standing right here in their midst. And I'm asking you, the church, to build my church in places like this. They're not going to find it in that cave. They're not going to find it in the images. They're not going to find it in the temples. It will only be found in me. And the way in which they will come to know the God of the universe is through my church. So Jesus says in verse 18, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to stand against it. Now, people believed that in the winter season, Pan would go down into the under underworld and the water would stop flowing and, and Pan would go down into the place called Hades. And while Pan was gone, the people would engage in lascivious acts in order to get the God of fertility to return in the spring. Why? Well, we need water. We need the water to flow. So we will do whatever we have to do in order to please Pan so that Pan will come and release the water and bless us once again and our cops will grow. Now, do you get the sense that people desperately want to connect with the divine? I think that that buzz, that hum reverberates in every human being, that we desperately want to connect with something other than ourselves, something bigger, something greater, something more real. And I think this is what makes Peter's statement so compelling. He's declaring in a public place 
that the living God is standing right here in our midst and that his name is Jesus. And this God is personal. This God is not just a carving. This God is not just some mysterious figure. This God is not somebody who leaves in particular seasons and then goes down into the underworld. This is a God who's living, breathing right in our midst that we don't have to work ourselves up in a frenzy in order to get the attention of this God. This God lives and breathes right here with us. Now, according to rabbinic sources, it states that when the Messiah comes, the gates of Caesarea Philippi will collapse. Isn't that amazing? According to rabbinic source and tradition, that when the Messiah comes, these gates will not be able to stand. And what did Peter say? You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, the gates will not be able to stand. Now think about the implications of gates. In the ancient world, gates were defensive structures, right? In times of war, if you would storm the gates and if you broke through the gates, you would win the battle. So if the gates are not going to be able to stand, who's attacking who? Is Jesus telling his followers, hey, as my followers take on a passive role, stay, stay away from places like this. Remember back in Matthew 5 again, Light can't be put under a bowl. It's put on a stand so that it gives light to everyone. Light by its very nature can't exist under a bowl, hidden away, tucked away, separated from culture. Light engages, it stands, and it, it, it shines bright so that everyone can be drawn to it. And so when Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church, I will establish my church here, and the gates of hell won't be able to stand against it. Weeks later, Jesus goes on, faces his execution, he, he dies, he defeats the powers of hell, he breaks through the gates, he defeats the powers of hell, he sets the captives free, death no longer has a hold over us, and he rises again and he sets us free. And he comes back and then he says, before you go and engage with culture, before you go and you storm the gates, in a sense, wait for the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, what happens? Immediately, they go out into the marketplace. They don't stay in their building. They go out into the marketplace and they begin to declare the wonders and the miraculous signs of who God is and what God is doing in the world. Light by its very nature is drawn into culture. Jesus takes his disciples to places like Caesarea Philippi to places like the Decapolis on the other side of the sea where you engage with people who are devout in their paganistic pursuit of life, wanting to connect with the gods and the goddesses, but the one true living God goes into those regions and takes his disciples and says, among all the chaos, this is where light is drawn. And I think what Jesus might be saying is here, listen, church, go on the offensive, storm the gates, move towards the chaos, reveal to people who the living God is, don't hide away in dark places. Don't put yourself under bowls. Engage with your culture. Enter into the conversations that culture is having, the hard conversations, the uncomfortable conversations. Build relationships with people because everyone wants to connect to the real thing, the living God. So instead of isolating or, uh, or assimilating, he says we don't, we're not to hide under bowls or to just stay with people like us, light is drawn into the dark places. Light asks the questions, what are the problems in society today? Where, where is culture missing it? 
or, or light asks the question, here are the problems that I see with education today. What are we as Jesus followers going to do about it? Or, or what about music? Here's where needs, music needs hope and healing. Here's where um, music needs redemption. So how are we as musicians going to respond? Because God equips us and so then we, give, we have this gift. How do we engage with culture? Or what about science? Well, here's where science might be missing it, where they're not getting the whole story. So as a scientist and as a Jesus follower, I'm going to engage with people and not isolate or separate myself from it, but I'm going to engage in the conversation. Light engages in the political chaos of the world. Instead of hiding away from it and saying, we don't want to enter into those hard conversations, light says, no, we move into the conversation because we want to be part of what's happening in culture. We want to help shape and form people in the way of Jesus. The gates of hell in our culture, places where People are looking for the real thing. This is where light is drawn. And light is always on the offensive, not the defensive. He didn't call us to just build institutions. He calls us to engage with culture. Not to assimilate and become like culture. Not to separate and separate and pull ourselves away from culture. Those aren't the only two options. But he says, I want you to move into it, help shape, form, engage, and build my church. When I look back at my own journey, my life, and I think about the people who shaped and influenced me, the rabbis in my life and in my story, my own youth pastor had a profound effect on how I see and view ministry today. He was a person who lived out in the margins of society, moved out into the darkest of places. My, my own father who was a minister, made it a goal in life in order to interact with city officials and teachers and administrators and not just people who thought like him and not just Christians. He engaged with all kinds of different people. My own theological training, the institutions that I was blessed to be a part of, prepared me in order to engage with culture, not to move away from it. As a musician, I, I've been a musician for most of my life. I've spent years and years and years playing in bands, spending a great deal of time playing uh, music in bars, in clubs in Hollywood when we lived down in Los Angeles. And my deepest soul desire as I went into those dark places was I want to connect with as many people as possible. I want to be in conversation with people and I want to help people connect to the real thing. Because I believe that people desperately want to know the living God. They're looking for the real thing. And that drives light through the world. The light believes that people need the light. So light is drawn into the places, into those hard conversations, into culture itself, going, here's the light. Here's the true living God. Here's Jesus. Here's the answer. And as light, my very nature, because I'm a Jesus follower, I'm finding that I'm more and more drawn to the dark places in culture because I'm convinced that people are hungry for what is real. They are hungry for it. And I'm not going to keep it under a bowl. There's no way. It's, it's the best news in the world, and we get to share it with everyone. It's the best news in the world. That's why it's called good news, because it's good news for everyone. We get to build the church and the gates of hell will not be able to stand against it. In fact, we get to build the church on the gates of hell. 
where people are looking for the real thing. And those gates will never be able to stand against the church in Jesus' name. My friends, we are in for a great future. The season ahead is bright. It is good. It is full of hope. People need Christ, and we have the greatest gift in the world. Let's be a light in the world as we go today and as we continue to walk and learn in the way of Jesus. Grace and peace be with you, my friends. Be upon for a thousand 
generations, your family and your children and their children and their children. May His favor be upon you for a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children. May His favor be upon you for a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children. May His prayer.